Welcome to the Geekcentric Podcast, and welcome to our Watch Club for Andor. Don't you want to fight these bastards for real? Welcome to Watch Club. My name is Nate, and this is our Watch Club for Disney and Lucasfilms Andor, episodes one to three, directed by Toby Haynes. Special thanks, as always, to our friends at Lucasfilm and Disney Plus Canada for inviting us to watch these episodes early for review and, and for us to be able to get this Watch Club out right on time. If you're joining us for the first time, well, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going to full spoilers for this series and Star Wars in general. So if you haven't watched this week's episodes yet, be sure to do so. Watch all three and then come right back in less than 12 parsecs. Uh, now, before we start a revolution, let me introduce you to the Rebel Spies. Joining me today, first up, he's my Rebel Spy, who's pretty fly for a Sky Guy. He's Justin Lobot Lawrence. Howdy, howdy. How are ya? <laughs> Is that how Lobot? You think Lobot would say howdy, howdy? I feel like a Lobot would say howdy, howdy. I think that's <laughs> that's right. If it's a, lo- a Lobot that's like me, for sure. There you 100%. go. 100%. It's, yeah. it's no B2 emo, but it's, you know. Sure. A Lobot, maybe, maybe it's like a, a Lobot, a Lobot at a brothel. He's just getting a little <laughs> drunk off some oil or something. <laughs> He's going sure, off. let's go with okay. that. Let's all right, go all with right. that. Uh, and joining us in our fight against the Empire, we have a rebel spy who can break a Melu run fruit between his dry thighs while munching on some pork belly pie. He's Kevin Hosnian Prime Hudson. All of a sudden, I sound like a spectacle at a brothel. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, it's all for the greater good. For the greater good. Absolutely. Kevin, we would use you. We'd get some Melu run fruit and put them between your dry thighs, and we'd just tell all the ISB officers, hey, look over there. Look over there while we steal all the plans for the Death Star. I think that's how they did it. Mm-hmm. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm, I'm, I'm so stoked that we finally, finally get to talk about this show in spoilers. You know, Justin and I, for, for us, it's been over a month now that we first got to watch these first four episodes of Andor, and then there was the delay that happened. And we've kind of just been sitting with our thoughts on the series. And so I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I'm just like, there's so much to go over. But like, I was like, just waiting. I was counting down the days till we could actually talk about it. And thankfully, thankfully, we'll get to talk about it in this watch club. And we got to talk a little bit off air with uh, with yourself, Kevin uh, and Darcy during the, the spoiler free recording. I mean, I saw these three days ago and I've been chomping at the bit. So I can't imagine the unenviable task that you guys have had sitting on it, just, you know, waiting to get to share. And, and it's it's exciting just knowing that right around the corner it's going to drop. And I, I'm just so curious to see how people respond to this show. Yeah. Well, you've already, uh, you know, responded to the show with your thoughts probably on social media. If you're listening to this by now, again, this is going to be spoiler filled for the first three episodes. We're not going to be talking at all. We're not even going to be thinking or, or or pondering about the fourth episode. We are only focused on the first three episodes for this Watch Club. Uh, and going forward, you know, obviously this show is so different for Star Wars. It is such a different pace. It's a different, everything is different about it. So uh, you're going to notice, if you've listened to our Watch Clubs before, you're going to notice these Watch Clubs are also going to be a bit different. We're going to kind of maybe take some time and, and you know, these these first three episodes very much feel like they are one singular arc um, I have a feeling that four, five, and six might feel that way, and going forward, we might start to see uh, these episodes maybe better discussed 
uh, in groups of two or three. So going forward, we will be probably releasing these episodes um, after maybe a, a couple of weeks to, you know, two to three weeks at a time. Okay. All right. Well, listen, we have... So much to go over for this week's Watch Club um, with getting three episodes debuting today on Disney Plus as of uh, this episode's release. So let's get into it. I want to start with the score, uh, and we kind of touched upon the music in our spoiler-free. The opening title sequence is so different from others that we've gotten so far. What did you think of, you know, even just the the title of, like, Andor just appearing slowly on the screen while we hear Nicholas Bertel's, you know, various themes to the to the show? Yeah, no, I, I think the music is 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 of its own character. Uh, you know, it, it definitely stands out. It's it's very personal. It's very intimate. It's very soft and, and less obvious, very much like this entire series in being conventional mm. Star Wars music. And I think we'll we'll hear more of that as as we go throughout the the episodes. Uh, but yeah, I think again because so much of Star Wars is built on the scores and, and the music that we hear. Here we have something that's a little less obvious, a little more subtle. And I'm interested to see as we get further if that changes, if the level of intensity on the on that opening uh, title sequence of this, if it, the song changes, uh, given the the stakes uh, as the episodes evolve. Well, it's interesting you say that because I mean, even watching the in the first three episodes, the 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 music changes each time, um, and but but with no matter what though, it always starts the same and ends the same. It it. It has this crescendo. It, it starts very soft and then picks up and gets louder and louder. And I feel like that's also very fitting for, you know, very much where we see like the we'll see the pace of this show pick up and get things are going to get more and more off the rails. Um, so I think, you know, get it, it's going to get louder as we go further into this conflict. And I, I love how they sort of match that tone right off the right off the start. Uh, but let's let's keep going here. Uh, let's get right into our first episode. Our first three episodes, of course, as I mentioned, directed by Toby Haynes. Uh, and episode one starts off on Morlana One in the Preox Morlana corporate zone five years before the Battle of Yavin. Uh, so this is five years before A New Hope, I guess. Yeah. Is that what we're saying? Yes. Uh, we see Cassian walking through the rain towards a corporate bar and pleasure house after some heckling from two sentry guards uh, named Kravis and Verlo. Cassian f- informs the hostess that he's looking for his sister from Canari. She tells him there was a girl from Canari here months ago, uh, but she disappeared. Uh, and then she's like, and you should also leave uh, because you asked that. I don't know. I don't know. She just got weirdly suspicious of him in that moment. Uh, first of all, you know, do we think that the girl working at the brothel was indeed his sister or do you think it could have been in, you know someone else from Canary? that's that's a hard question to answer without getting further into this episode but i i would say that um i don't see why he would lie about it i guess because he's also saying that she's from Canary as well i'm thinking yeah i definitely is his sister he's kind of in a in a situation in that moment where he's not he has nothing to lose in that moment like he's kind of He's on his own. This is I feel like this whole aspect of him searching for his sister is something that is only it's only been his journey. He's never really, you know, brought it up to anyone or, or even some of his closest, uh, you know, friends and, and somewhat family uh, in, in that we see in this show. So I think I think it is a little bit personal for him. I just I thought it was weird even just seeing a brothel in Star Wars. Um, like yeah, well, that's in- the real that's the real question here. <laughs> what is it like to see a brothel in Star Wars? It's like right off the bat, here's your mature Star yeah. Wars or adult Star Wars, as you guys were saying in the spoiler spoiler free. It's it, it's it's blatantly a a, a brothel. That's that's bold. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but 
it's still not, you know, we're not going to get sexual innuendo. Yeah, we're not yeah. going to get any of that, right? And so I think a, a young person watching this would have no idea that that was a brothel. Yeah, 100%. It would just seem like a bar, a cantina. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's subtle enough that we can pick up on it. Again, like, so while we talked about in the spoiler-free show about how the show is definitely geared to a more mature, more adult fan base, they're still doing it in such a way that anybody could watch this. Yeah, and I, I will say, like, Again, um, yeah, it's definitely not explicit, but I think the closest thing we've gotten so far would be Twi'lex or Leia in in the golden bikini when she was enslaved by Jabba. Um, you know, those are kind of things. Or I guess the only other sort of comparison I can make would be the concepts of spice and how they talk about spice and how that's very clearly drugs um, in in the Star Wars universe. So it's it's interesting, but but yeah, I just kind of it was like okay, we're Oh, we're okay. It's you know, there's ladies coming up to him and saying that they want to, you know. Anyways, um, it just it just was interesting. It's a weird thing to see in Star Wars. Uh, so after failing to secure more information, he promptly leaves. The two sentry guards follow him and request to see his corpo ID. Cassian makes them think he's going to pay them off until he headbutts Verlo uh, and slams Kravis into the ground, disarming him. He holds Kravis at gunpoint and demands him to get Verlo up off on the ground. However, they both discover that Verlo isn't breathing. Kravis pleads for his life, saying, we'll go in together, but it's too late. Cassian has already made up his mind, and he shoots him in cold blood without a thought. He makes his escape off the planet. So, obviously, this is the spark that lights the fuse for the entire first, I guess, these first three episodes um, for, for, you know, kind of seeing Cassian cover his tracks. What did you think of this dark moment for our rebel protagonist? Well, I think it's it was to be expected, right? Like, I kind of already read the scene. Like, you know, we forget, like, when we first were introduced to Cassian Andor in Rogue One, mm-hmm. he very much did the same thing. He eliminated stormtroopers, but he also eliminated the informant that he was getting information from. Yeah. You know, to see it happen here in a, in a sort of accidental situation, I think that really is a testament to kind of what this show is about. It's not about good or bad it's about the gray it's about surviving Mm. it's about the idea of protecting yourself in this galaxy at this time of when things are really you know shit's hitting the fan so uh, i think in many ways this one sequence of events and moment from from the from the brothel into this really does highlight how again mature but also real in the sense of focusing on the people of the galaxy and and the the impact these these events are having on them. Yeah, and I, I certainly think that you know his actions to start off Rogue One are even more questionable or shady than here. These guys are shaking him down, going to take him for every penny he has, and they're doing so at gunpoint. I mean, you know, and and he's just doing what he has to do to survive and to get out of this situation. That's, I mean, so I really, I have no qualms with what he's done here to sort of protect himself. Uh, I mean, obviously he's broken uh, universal law here in Thou Shall Not Kill, but I, I think he was very much in a kill or be killed situation. I mean, I'm not sure these guys had the guts to actually pull a trigger, but they put themselves in this situation. They asked for it, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate that uh, a pesky little brown noser is gonna is gonna take this the wrong way and and uh, start an investigation. And that sentiment, Kevin, is going to come up later when we when we meet another character. That exact sentiment of well, they got themselves into that trouble, and he's not wrong because at the end of the day, Andor was just protecting himself. He's protecting his 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 own identity. 
um, because again, more to kind of unravel as we get through this this episode. But he's already in a sense of hiding, mm-hmm. right? So I think that he's trying to cover his tracks and make sure no one finds him. But I thought this was such like to start the series off with this moment was was what really hit me. And I think it's it's so strong. I think it's such an interesting moment because you see how quickly Cassian's mind has to work, and that's such you know Diego Luna being able to portray that without any words the the way that his eyes dart back and forth and you know you see his mind working to justify what he's doing in that moment um and just how quickly Kravis turns and starts begging for his life like such a coward and and it it just shows these lower imperial forces they act tough but you know they don't know how dangerous the resistance can actually be and that's a huge theme as well that we're going to see throughout is this sort of underestimation of the enemy and i think that's that's huge that's a huge advantage for our resistance um but you're right justin it did remind me a lot of the moment with with cassian killing tivik who's the spy who tells him about the planet killer in, in rogue one but in that in that scene you know i think he's he's kind of in a situation where he just does. He, you don't really see him think. He just does. And so, right. And, and so he's come from war and he's definitely killed before this moment in the series. But I guess it's just interesting that his character, you know, I guess he, he, you're right. He doesn't see killing as, as a problem. It's only something that he uses as a tool. And it's, it's you know, and it's just weird because I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to see any uh, some sort of redemption arc for what happened here, or if the show is just going to go and explore even further how we get to the Cassian that we get to in Rogue One, where he's just like, this isn't, this isn't even a problem anymore. That he just has to do what he has to do. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm super intrigued to see how they move this character through this storyline to get him from point A to point B. Um, but I did want to move on here and talk about something a little bit more uh, happy and fun and light. Uh, back on Ferex in the Morlani system, we're introduced to B2 Emo uh, as he rolls pack rolls past a pack of Sibian hounds, uh, which, by the way, uh, Kevin, we saw Sibian hounds in the Solo movie, uh, which was not as good as Rogue One. Uh, he finds Cassian, and we learn that he's a nervous he's a nervous little droid with a stutter. Uh, so let's talk about B2 Emo. Um, I know Justin, uh, Adria Arjona, uh, in an interview, apparently denied that, you know, he was emo, but I do think he is very much emotional. What do you think of, uh, this addition oh, yeah. to the lineup of Star Wars droids? Oh, he, he a hundred percent is very emotional. I think that that's, that's definitely rooted. He second guesses himself. Um, he, he stutters when he speaks, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of like a glitch, but it's, it, it's just a, a very lovable trait. Yeah. Um, I think he's a great addition to, to the, to the long line of droids that we've been introduced to. And he has a bit of a different personality. I, I think I could kind of relate to him Aww. to be honest. That's cute. <laughs> well, and I just like how, you know, uh, we'll learn, later on just how long uh Cassian and B2 have known each other mm-hmm. and yeah. so and so while we don't know that here you can already get the sense of you know B2's very much looking out for Cassian he's very much yeah. protective of him where have you been what have you been doing you know he's almost the voice of reason when his own mother can't be there and i think that's such a cool it's a, it's a really neat change to almost have this sort of emotional you know this emotional aspect of this droid, and and it's not just a, a droid doing its job. It's it's a droid actually caring for th- this human counterpart, which I think is a really really neat twist. Very Baymax. 
Yes, all oh, very Baymax. But I will say I, one thing that he doesn't—he obviously doesn't have Baymax's confidence because I love how I love how he's still smart enough though though to lie about things. Like he'll be like, I, you know, like one point he gets nervous to tell Cassian what Marva told Brazo, and he's like pausing for data lag, and he's not actually pausing for data lag. He just doesn't <laughs> yeah. want to tell him <laughs> what she said. Um, so he's you know he's so loyal and he's so he just wants everyone to be happy. And um, I love when he's like. That's two lies. And two then he lies. cocks his yeah. head like a little dog. <laughs> like like he, he has enough room for one lie, but two lies, I don't know. Um, and just the way he gets sad when Cassian leaves without him, like he is kind of like a little, like a dog at that point. And I don't know, man. I just, um, I, I'm really happy about B2 Emo. And I, I, I hope, I hope that we do get more of him uh, throughout this series at some point. I, I, I just, I love him too much. Um, so listen, we do get a peek at this point into Cassian's past with the, his tribe on Canary, and that's going to happen uh, a few times throughout all three of these episodes. So what I was thinking, if it's okay with you guys, I'm actually going to combine all these flashback moments so that we can talk mm-hmm. about them at the very end of our discussion, if that's okay. Cool. Uh, sure. That, so, I think that makes the most sense. Cool. We'll, we'll flash back to them later. Let's go ahead and move on here after a brief conversation with Brasso to give him an alibi. Um, you know, Cassian talks to him, says, you know, they have a really wonderful little back and forth um, about just trying to, you know, protect Cassian's uh, story, if you will. Um, but we shift back to Morlana One, uh, this time at the corporate security headquarters where we meet Deputy Inspector Cyril Karn reporting to Chief Hine about the two sentry corporals who, uh, who've been murdered outside the brothel in Zone 5. The chief abruptly stops Cyril's strict report and casually asks him to cover up the murder by turning it into an accident outside the leisure zone. He says, make it as though they died being helpful, something sad but inspiring in a mundane sort of way. Cyril is shocked by the careless and deceitful nature of his superior, as Chief Hine reminds him that in these situations, brevity is what's best for everyone, including Cyril himself. Cyril goes on throughout the episode, unfazed by the complacency of his higher-up, and continues to press his less-than-enthusiastic co-workers to do better, uh, and finds out, you know, he tries to find out more information regarding these murders. So we can talk about Cyril... Cyril. (laughs) We keep calling him Cyril. We can talk about (laughs) Cyril in detail... Uh, what do you think uh, you know, of our first look, uh, Kevin, at Kyle Soler's character? Uh, yeah, I think I think Kyle does such a great job of of playing this this character who I guess we would say he's on the wrong side of of the good and bad argument, but he's definitely driven by a moral code that isn't based on greed. It's not based on control. It, it it's based on justice and right and wrong, mm-hmm. and so that's a really interesting sort of spin on a character. You know that we're that we're used to working for you know the dark side or, or the empirical side of things, um, the the empire, if you will. Uh, so yeah, and I think there's just I mean you get it more and more as the episodes go along. There's so much to talk about the nuances of his performance, but you you really quickly gain a sense of who this character is and and what's driving them. And and it's it's a really neat take to see somebody on that side. You know we're used to characters like Hux and everything like that who are just mm-hmm. little bootlicking uh you know whipping boys for for their <laughs> higher ups and here we yeah. have a real sense of of no 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 we're gonna ha- we have to do the right thing you know fight for justice here and i think that's that's a really interesting spin and only adds to the dynamic as we go forward yeah it sets an interesting precedence because like you're saying kevin we we automatically assume the empire is filled with bad people but here you have someone who is 
on the bad side, but his intentions are actually good. Like they would be no different from a cop who would want to find out the murder of fellow police officers. But, you know, again, I, I think this this introduction of 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 his character sets as a, a very great polar opposite to Andor and that sort of cat and mouse that we will see sort of unfold throughout the rest of the the these three episodes. Um I like that. I, I like that you kind of you have someone that is on the bad that it stands for good. It's kind of weird. It's a it's an interesting juxtaposition of of the two. Yeah, and you can see how he wants he wants to do good so much that He'll do bad to get to it. Bad, exactly. Um, and, yeah. you know, I think yeah. Kyle is playing the character. So I barely even recognized him, I'll be honest with you, when we did the interview. I got a chance. I had the chance to sit down with with Kyle and um, Denise Goff as well from uh, from this series that we don't get to meet in these three episodes. But but I, I, I will say, when we interviewed Kyle, he had a big, giant beard, which looked phenomenal, by the way. But he, he looked so, like kind and his eyes were so nice and here he, he looks so rigid he, and serious yeah he smiled you never see him do it <laughs> once in the show not even yeah. not even crack a grin so yeah, yeah that was it's such a difference between the characters yeah, he's cold yeah, yeah he's very cold and you can see you know justin you brought up chief hine uh earlier i think you that's what you were sort of mm-hmm. insinuating referring to yes you just see how the rebels have been able to get away with what they're getting away with right like it's it's just interesting because he's Chief Hine is kind of like the the general manager for a store for like he's like a Walmart manager that just like, listen, if we just keep our heads down and do a good enough job, corporate's not going to come in here and we don't have to worry about anything. We can just sort of all get by and do the bare minimum without really, you know, having to do anything. Uh, And you see how that's trickled down to to, you know, sort of. Cyril's other officers, his coworkers, if you will. Uh, And that's that's clearly not good enough for Cyril. No, it's 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 definitely not. But you know, again, you know, uh, Chief Hine isn't wrong, right? Like I think at the same time, like he described the situation where two men were probably forcing the wrong person, and well, he's an excellent detective. He absolutely nailed that scenario based exactly. on what had happened. I was like, ooh, that was very good <laughs> sleuthing. Yeah, yeah, he solved the crime right in the moment, and I think it goes to show because I think in that conversation too, he hints at the fact that you know they've they've won the war. They they don't need to be so so rigid. Uh, you know, again, it is about just keeping your head down and maintaining, as you said, Nate. So, yeah, I think that it's clear that uh, the Empire is getting a little lazy. Yeah, but you're right. They, the Empire has clearly gotten clearly gotten to a place now where they're kind of just like, oh, we got this on lock. Don't worry about it. Put everything in autopilot. Everything's going to be fine. You don't have to look too hard for anything. So um, let's keep going here. Cassian uh, confronts Bix as she's working Bix Colleen. Uh, she's working on a an engine. Uh, it looked like a pod racing engine, by the way, which was freaking dope. I hope <laughs> I hope there's pod racing at some point for some reason in this show. Um, but anyways, she's working on, an, on a pod racing engine, and he asks her to reach out to her secret friend who buys things. Uh, she tells him she likes to sell in bulk. Cassian informs her that it needs to be quick, uh, as he has an untraceable NS9 Starpath unit. She's frustrated that he's been holding out on her, and he reminds her that she's been skimping off the top as well. After some more convincing, she agrees to let her buyer know, uh, which we do see her in the episode. She covertly talks to a shop owner, climbs up a thing, and then lets lets the buyer know through um, getting a message out to him uh, very covertly and secretively. So, um, Adria Arjona plays Bix. Justin, you had the chance to interview her. What did you think of our mm-hmm. introduction to Bix and her relationship with Cassian? 
Well, her relationship with Cassian, and obviously they seem like they're they're close. Mm-hmm. Whether they're romantic partners in the past, maybe that's that's yet to be really kind of uh, discussed, if you will. But it's definitely implied. But I, what I love with her, the introduction of her character, is that very much like Andor, she is a survivor who is, you know, laying low and doing what she can. Uh, you know, able to use what resources you can, lay low on the grid, hustle where you can. But what's interesting, too, is because while everyone seems to imbue this sort of survival, they're also they're in it together. Uh, And again, that'll get explored as we go further in these episodes. But yeah, her character very much is it being that she's a new character. She really does stand out as being someone that is going to be impactful to this story and and potentially to the rebellion as we move forward and even in this small instance it was great to see her energy on screen as she she just was so in control and confident Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i have to say it's it's at this point of the episode that i'm at the most confused that i ever was in watching this show i think i think up to this point things are a little muddy um just in the sense that you know, we see Cassian at the beginning. He's on this mission, it seems, to find his sister. Then we get a flashback, and, and you know, I know we're going to talk about that later, but we get this flashback where we seem to meet his sister. Then we go to this scene where we meet Bix, and I'm sorry, but the actress playing Bix here um, uh, very much looks like an older version of the young actress playing his sister. <laughs> and so I just, and, oh, no. and he's got this device that he hasn't talked about at all. And all of a sudden he's, so now we've seen Cassie in, in the first 20 minutes with two different missions. He's selling this very important thing, but he's mm-hmm. also looking for his sister. Like I just thought this was the muddiest and almost sloppiest that the show got in that it, because we're not like familiar with these characters, it was a little confusing. Going well, is that a sister? I guess not, because he's talking about not knowing her. But we've definitely like, and so mm-hmm. I, it it does help itself clear out a little bit. But it is a little bit ambiguous as to who these people are and what real motivations are. Just up to this point, yeah. at least for me, I I was seeing it as the fact that he was seeking her out to try to sell this, because obviously she knows he knows that she has a contact but since he's killed those two guards he needs to get off planet like toot sweet so he's trying to hustle what he can and push through and it's interesting that in this sort of first interaction it is very as you said it's a little it's a little confusing because we are being kind of thrusted into this story and we're not really given too much context around what's going on other than a rough time period, I guess, before uh, other events. Well, to be fair, and I think it is at the end of this episode uh, that he does talk to Pegla uh, at the the shipping yard and, and Pegla's like, I want nothing to do with you anymore and clearly that's where he was getting his ship from that's that's you know the ship that he uses to get off of uh off the planet after killing those guards you know in in my mind you're right kevin it's like well why couldn't he just use that ship to get off like why doesn't he just use that ship again and so they did you're right they don't clearly give a, an established reason as to why he needs to move this this star path unit so quickly um, because they've sort of established the idea that he can get off planet uh, really quickly. So, um, but I will say regarding Bix, I thought, you know, clearly they've had their disagreements in the past, but something keeps bringing them back together. And I think that's such a, that's such a realistic relationship that I haven't really, I don't think we've gotten too much in Star Wars is, is this idea of a friendship where the two characters really butt heads and you can tell that they've, They've they've gone their separate ways, but something keeps bringing them back together. And whether that's a friendship or a romantic relationship is obviously yet to be discerned. But I will say, um, Tim, who is Bix's 
uh, I guess, partner or, or she's got a relationship with Tim uh, that is a romantic relationship. He does say, are we betting on a, Ro- a Wobani run tomorrow? And so, you know, all the people out there that are complaining on Twitter, there's no Star Wars in this show. There's no Easter eggs. I want more Easter eggs. There's your freaking Easter eggs, okay? Wobani, uh, if you don't remember, is where Jin Erso would eventually be imprisoned in Rogue One. So there you go. He's he's trying to see if they're having some folks go to the, the imprisonment planet of Wobani. Um, so anyways, I just wanted to bring that up because I'm sick and tired of people saying that there's no Easter eggs. There are. Uh, let's just jump. There's obviously the episode ends with a flashback. As I said, we'll get to it. Let's jump into episode two here. Uh, the episode starts with Cassian back on Ferex. We see the the day is started by the Time Grappler, uh, which is dope. The the <laughs> the the subtitles call him the Time Grappler, and uh, I don't know. It's just a dope name for this guy ringing the bell. Never has somebody since Quasimodo taken so <laughs> much pride in ringing the ringing town the bells. Bell. Like yeah. this guy is just like he's cocking his neck. Yeah. He's getting those shoulders rolled. He is ready to bang the shit out of this anvil. Yeah. Um I love this guy. This guy I love this guy. He does a great job too. Dude, the, I the, think he, the whole town is lucky to have him. He would be a phenomenal wrestler. I think if we ever brought, made a Star Wars wrestling show, get the time grappler in there. I mean, the Time Grappler is a wicked name. I want to know a little bit more about this. <laughs> That's guy. what I'm saying. Well, dude. It's, it seems it seems it seems also very ritualistic, mm-hmm. like in its moment. It's very it's repetitive. It's it's something he takes pride in because he's starting the day and ending the day. Yeah. I think. Oh yeah. You know, and the day is working. Yeah. Right. The day is to 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 hustle to survive. Uh, you know, again, all these these things that are themes that we're playing with throughout throughout the the first episode, continuing right into the second here. You know, introduction of someone who cares about what they do and uh yeah it's it's intense it's awesome yeah and you know throughout this episode going forward you know we're going to see the pieces start to move we learn more about the characters relationships with each other uh we see that now the isb has put out a warrant for cassian's arrest looking for a canary male resident uh and we're introduced to marva cassian's adopted mother Uh, and we also see team tim's betrayal as well as a very awkward speech from Cyril. Uh, so let's start with Bix and Tim. Back to where we were with Bix and Tim. Obviously, he's starting to become more and more suspicious of her to the point where he betrays both her and Cassian. Um, do you guys think this was out of pure jealousy? I mean, clearly the guy is unhappy with the situation he's yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, he's salty. He yeah. doesn't want Andor around, you know, trifling on his his territory with Bix, and you know, he's, he's he takes it a little too far, and he's pretty low, mm-hmm. if you ask me. Interesting. Well, I mean, I, I don't even know if it's a jealousy thing, right? Like, yeah. you know, uh, in terms of an emotional, I think it's you're putting, you know, whoever Bix, Bix is in to me That's in what danger. I was going to say, yeah. And so you need to scram. You, like, he, everybody who knows Cassian sort of knows that he's no good and just draws he's trouble. attention. He's trouble, yeah. He draws, yeah. So I think it's more like th- th- this is a chance to get rid of this guy. If I get one, I'm going to take it. And clearly he's not informed as far as Bix's, um, you know, relationship or her, her alliance to the rebellion. Like he doesn't he doesn't know any of this stuff. Right. He, he finds sure. it out. Um, and I think with that lack of communication, he starts to draw his own conclusions. Um, and I, I thought the, the line that Cassian says where he's like, well, 
you're going to have to find a less complicated woman. <laughs> good, good luck with that. I just thought it was a really interesting line from from Cassian, just given his relationship with Bix and what he knows of her. Um, but bringing up the idea of, of Cassian and Bix having a romantic relationship, in another scene at the local cantina in this episode, we see Cassian tell Bix that he messed up. And that he'll he'll just sell her the you know the piece, and she's like, "Well, it's too late. I already got the buyer on his way." Um, Cassian then holds her hand, and he tells her not to forget what she's he oh he'll not forget what she's done for him. But she pushes it away and says he should go. So do you guys like that? Clearly, I think that clearly means at one point they they were holding hands on purpose. Uh, of course, yeah, yeah, for sure. And she wants to rid herself of that memory. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I think what she's instinctively doing is putting distance between her and him because she knows that he's trouble. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Tim? Tim. Is that his name? Tim? <laughs> Which, by yeah, the way, Tim. for Star Wars, listen, Star Wars. <laughs> Most Cassian Andor, Bix Kaleen, uh, Marva. Tim. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> but Tim to be fair, it's Luke. both... It's Luke two isn't the craziest okay, Luke, space there name you go. Sure, sure yeah, fine. Sure. But just the fact so. that we've got a Tim in Star Wars with two M's, by um, the way. It's so funny. Yes, with but two M's, of course. But not where yeah. you think. <laughs> that's, a, that's a shout out to our other watch club for She-Hulk. But yeah, I think Tim didn't need to do anything. Again, I, I think it, he was threatened by their relationship and wanted to start, yes, a future with Bix. Therefore, getting him removed, it's, it's 100%. I want to protect Bix, but it's a little bit of like, if I do this, it'll happen faster, right? It's it's going to speed up the process and Bix and Tim can focus on them moving forward. But yeah, I think it's, it's generally implied in this scene that she wants to put the space there. She wants the distance. Their, their relationship's not good for either of them. And I think Tim might even be angry in this moment that, that he's almost seeing himself as, oh, I'm, I'm just the guy that's used so that you can put distance between your other life and you know I'm like an escape for you, but I'm I'm not an escape on on our terms, on the terms that we set. I'm an escape on your terms, and I think for him that's where he very much gets a little bit frustrated. And we do get that moment where Bix shows up at Tim's place, and she's like, "I yeah, couldn't sleep." It was a sleep. booty call. It was a booty that was call. A straight and up so, booty call. Hold on. Let's talk so, about, let's talk about this. Right. The first time, like, is this the first time that like straight up sex was implied in a galaxy implied? far, far away? Because obviously. You know, Anakin, Padme, and they had kids, but still, like this is this is pretty going there. This is bold it's, again. Yeah. It's it's on the same tier of brothel. Yeah, in that it's implied. Yeah, the the adult audience understands what it's implying. Here, you know, she shows up there. I'm like, oh yo, she's <laughs> she's here for something, right? Yeah. And and I think again, it's just to kind of push the boundaries here. You know, you don't need to keep Star Wars in this adolescent place you can kind of go a little bit bolder and push the boundaries more and and allow the audience to read the situation and so yeah you know she she was there for a purpose and yeah she won yeah and i think that's what bothers that's what really bothers tim Mm. is that he'll always just be some sort of physical attraction that allows for her to decompress well and then he's always going to be wondering if he if if she was thinking about cassie in the whole time oh yeah you yeah. know, uh, but I mean, let's be honest here. We know that Padme and and Anakin weren't just slicing pears in sexual, <laughs> you know, flirty ways with each other on that booth there. 
sure. I guess that might be the closest we've gotten, but I don't know, man. This just felt No, this, this... was this was straight up dirty midnight. No, this was yeah. No, this was, yeah, this was this was yeah. yeah. This Bow and this again. <laughs> you're absolutely right, man. It is it is more blatantly obvious here mm-hmm. than it has ever been because again, as Kevin's pointing out, it's it's obviously implied because Anakin and Padme would have twins mm-hmm. later. So how else would that happen? We know yeah. what that implies. Yeah. So here though, it just it wasn't about like love. It was about just that sort of physical need to release yeah if you will i will say having um having done the the whole romantic comedy uh romance movie thing of laying in bed and and staring you know at her and as she wakes up and really soft and lovely and just like just taking her in that's beautiful but tim you're sitting off the bed, fully dressed, staring at her. Like it was creepy as heck, dude. Like that's not that's not how you that's do that I'm moment, not, dude. I don't I don't like I don't trust this guy. No. Right? Like again, as we I shouldn't just, clearly. He ratted them out. Yeah, as we as we clearly shouldn't. But he had calf. That's what I wanted to calf, shout out. So that's dude. Yeah, he had calf. I I gotta you gotta you gotta anybody gotta who's ever been that. to to Galaxy's Edge, please get yourself some calf. The the black calf there is so delicious, and that's coming from somebody who's not really a coffee fan. It is so good, and I just love. Shout out to Star Wars Coffee. That's so dope that they have coffee now in Star Wars. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, all right, let's keep going here. Let's move on to Mama Marva. Uh, Cassian comes home to. I almost sounded like B two emo there for a second. Mama 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 Marva. Cassian comes home to find Marva incredibly upset because B two has informed her about the warrant. She's really upset and worried that someone might know that Cassian is not her son and that he's actually from Canari. Cassian is distracted by B two, who tells him. Bix is looking for him and his mom's like freaking out. He's like, he's like, shut up, shut up, mom, shut up. <laughs> so he tells Marva uh, that he messed up. Marva sits with her thoughts as Cassian inspects a wrecked ship where he's he's kept this, you know, the treasured NS9 Starpath unit. Uh, and then we also see a scene where Marva discovers Cassian's tribal blow dart staff. And we also see a plush Bantha in that moment. There you go. Star Wars fans, little plush Bantha Easter egg. Um, we but got one in. There we go. We got another one. Um, so this is our introduction to Marva. What did you think of her? Obviously, she was she was pissed that he messed up. But clearly... Like, she wasn't as careful as she could have been either, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. I, I think this is, you know, I just love this actress, Fiona Shaw. She She's is phenomenal. Like, she was phenomenal. She's just so captivating. And even in this introduction moment of how how intense she is, how frustrated she mm-hmm. is, you really do get this, again, another another character that has a sense of of protection, uh, this idea of survival, another layer of that from a different perspective of of a mother, Will, and, and I put use that in air quotes because obviously, you know, she's not his mother, but she feels responsible for him. She feels she feels like she needs to protect him from from whatever it is that is out there, and everyone seems to be having that mentality. But uh, kudos to her for like the, in this first scene, just like jumping right off the screen and just captivating me. I was like, damn some good acting and i want to bring up uh, really quickly just before you go kevin uh the the fact that kevin uh after we recorded our spoiler free he was like he kept trying to find more information about cassian being from canary and he's like i just couldn't find it anywhere and, and you made it you made the joke that marva really did her job uh and and made sure that even on the wikipedia page it wasn't listed she had that hidden on the Wikipedia page. <laughs> that is mother of the year yeah. quality there. And yeah, I know she's not actually his mom, but you know, uh, coming yeah, from a, a situation of an adopted parent, uh, mm-hmm. that that really does become just you know that that, that parent. Uh, I do think it's it's kind of interesting though. It's so funny that for me, Fiona Shaw. I know she's terrific in uh, 
Killing Eve, but for me, she'll always be um, Aunt Petunia. And yes. So to see oh, her yeah. in this this role that is so different from that, where where she's mm-hmm. just so caring and protective of our of our protagonist, it's it's such a neat twist for her. And and I mean, just to speak of her performance, she's such a badass. Yeah. In some of the flashbacks that we'll be talking about, uh, it's like she she pulls off being a badass really really well too. So there's a lot of layers that she brings to this character. For sure, she's dope. She's dope. And I love that she's just like, you're right. She's so intense. She's just sitting there lazy boy with the lamp on. And you're just like, oh, my gosh. Cassian, don't go in there. Um, <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's keep going here. Um, this this section I've, I've titled Cyril's New Best Friend. Uh, back with Cyril, uh, Sergeant Linus Mosk. Uh, joins him and there's fermenting uh, and he joins him in the middle of the night and uh, he's kind of he's kind of the first officer to actually understand Cyril's discipline uh, and he agrees he says they need a stronger hand there's fermenting out there pockets of fermenting uh, Cyril and his team make their way to Ferrix, knowing who Andor is and what he looks like um, and then we see this moment where the crew is kind of snickering at the idea of you know, the locals not being happy after Mosk mentions there's a forum that they can make official complaints, um, which, you know, he then passes off to Cyril and Cyril struggles to make an inspiring speech and they, they don't really seem to buy it. He seems so nervous. Uh, he's never led a team before, clearly. And then Mosk just like awkwardly <laughs> tries to get the group to clap. Well, well said, sir. Inspiring. <laughs> it's just it's that it's that Justin, you brought it up. It's that General Hux bullshit that we usually see from these underlings. Um, so what did you guys think of these pre-more security guards? Uh, and what did you think of Cyril's speech to them? I mean, I, I, I will just say that this was probably the funniest moment um yes. in in these episodes uh, was the you know Mox's tr- tr- oh god that went poorly <laughs> and we're about to go into what who knows how dangerous of a situation yeah. he should have left it at his speech because his was like a pump you up ready to go into battle sort of speech so to see Cyril like again he's tr- he's just trying so hard and is in way over his head and you almost feel bad for him here like there's there's just such a sense of pity yeah I couldn't agree more that's that's sort of it he's he's ahead of himself he's he's trying to do more than he can necessarily handle and i think he's trying to do more than he thinks he can understand really he doesn't have all the pieces he's just out to prove something and uh, you know you brought it up when we were talking about episode one just this uh, concept around his character believing so much in how he is the hero yeah right of his of his own story and and i think in this moment where he's trying to give this compelling inspiring speech and you see how how far he falls from 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 any of that it's just it's so short of that it just highlights how unprepared he is it's fantastic that we're finally getting to see you know what comes under what's what's under a stormtrooper Right. We I think, you know, going all the way back to the original Star Wars, it's like, oh, stormtroopers. Yeah, they're the lackeys. They're the they're the crew that just is like the cannon fodder. No, 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 no. Stormtroopers are a huge step up from these guys because, you know, they are they're they're far below stormtroopers. And again, you see them snickering at the idea of locals making a formal complaint. It just shows how they don't care about keeping the peace. They only care about kind well, I mean, they kind of care about what they're told to do and not even that much. And and they just care about power. Right. And and you see like I think even just seeing how green Cyril is in this, it was so hard to watch. I kind of almost felt bad for him at a certain point. Um, and then, and then Mosk is just the worst kissing his ass. Just, you know, he's showing he's, he's taking Mosk is taking a different approach to getting more power 
which is like a more deceitful, more cowardly way of just kind of really trying to pump this guy up. And it's just so unfortunate. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I think you're almost seeing this level where if the, the stormtroopers are like the army of the Empire, these are your local police forces. So these guys don't yes. have nearly the same weaponry, the same training, anything like that in terms of going into these larger situations. And well, yes, they're very, very crooked cops. And I wonder how much of the show is meant to be sort of, you know, uh, an examination of mm -hmm. crooked cops and whatnot. Mm -hmm. It's a hundred percent trying to bring in a lot of those real, like those real situations and those, those crime films, those espionage films and, and integrated into here. And I think this group of Primor security enforcers, they're very much depicted as, as cops, yeah. crooked cops at, at that, you know, they want their power. They, they, that's why they bully people. Yeah. You know, again, this is all dealing with a very real theme. And I think yeah. with these Primor security guards, they're very much uh, an allegory for sort of corrupt cops and they're yeah they're not soldiers they're not soldiers no they are not no, soldiers no. they are very much cops i even kind of thought of them as like mall security guards at one point um but let's <laughs> let's keep going here uh we're then introduced to luthan rail uh this episode um we we get to see him played by stellan skarsgård and we see him on like the bus he's on local public transport where he meets another visitor to ferrix who complains about the price of visiting uh the visitor says he's there for business uh, and if you ask me i think he's a little too talkative uh, he says, if you can't find it here, it's not worth finding. And then they do a sort of a close up shot of, of Cassian, obviously implying what, what, what Luther is, or sorry, Luthen is there for. Um, but what did you guys think? I, I feel, I feel like, you know, who is this guy, this salesman? They seem to focus a little bit too long on him. Do you think he's anyone we need to worry about? Maybe. I don't know. For me, it, honestly, for a moment, it reminded me of that scene in planes, trains and automobiles with John Candy. And when he sits down to Steve Martin's character, it's just like constantly talking to him and and he's overly chatty. And I, I don't know, man, I, I feel like he seemed too clean cut. He's got his little hat. Right. And he's just a salesman. Like, I'm sorry, you're going to this dirty, gross planet of Ferrix where everyone looks like they're covered in some type of dust and mud. And you're you you look like that. Like, I don't know. It just. I felt like there was something something going on. He just seemed too happy to be getting into a situation where where they get you, in his words, get you coming and going. I, I don't know. There was a very Western vibe to this moment, though, right? In sure. the sense of, you know, the stranger traveling on the train. town. And, right? Yeah. And the chatty, and like you said, the chatty, talkative salesman who's there for business, you know, trying to find out, ooh, who's this guy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's, in a way, was more of a, a direction to use a character like this chatty salesman to to show how secretive and protective Luthen is mm -hmm. in his what he does and 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 whatnot. So I liked I liked the sort of again Star Wars dips into these motifs of samurai and and western and here we got a little bit of that western vibe. Mm. Yeah, and and I think this does a lot rather than drawing suspicion to this salesman character. I think this is more it's almost meant to just show that he can he can handle himself in the the grittiest situations, you know, he knows how to get by, how to protect, you know, his mission, how to keep himself from drawing any attention to himself. So, yeah, I just think this was a really neat way to introduce him um, before we get to really dive into who his character is and how he operates. Listen, if we do get this guy again, 
this salesman guy. I'm going to be calling Mephisto, okay? I'm just going to call Mephisto. Um, I'm going to say it right there. That's who it is because um, I, 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 we probably won't see him again. Anyways, um, that is the the ending of this episode. And then we get this this ending song with Andor walking towards the camera, and we get this, like, rock music. Again, so incredibly different. What are, what are your thoughts on this ending different. music? I laughed actually <laughs> yeah. first initial reaction like because it was just so jarringly different and it, I don't think anything mm-hmm. really warranted such a rock inspired song it just felt like it was trying a little too hard to be overly intense like I get you know at the top here we're talking about how different the music is but I think this is where it kind of fell short for me here it was an odd choice but I, I would have liked to have heard more maybe of those the, those those massive drum beats from the the uh, time grappler uh, that we got at the beginning you know those sort of yeah like if you had something like that to kind of wrap up and and sort of as Nate loves the bookend yeah, the, the, the episode, the episode would be cool. yeah, with that that, would that cool. sound rather than some heavy rock <laughs> butt rock yeah, that was it. Was kind of awesome. It was it was kind of <laughs> like Star Wars's attempt at jumping on the 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 viral trend that's going on now. And it was like if Andor came out in two thousand seven, <laughs> where they play that Lincoln oh, Park song yes. as the credits come in. You know what I mean? Like that that that, that just made me think of those the, those YouTube videos that have been going around because those are absolutely hysterical. If somebody's listening to this and we haven't seen that yet, please do that. Please make it. It's it's absolutely gonna fit perfectly. Uh, so. Uh, yes, I, 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 I really dug it. I think it's awesome that we're getting a diverse collection of Star Wars music first with, you know, I think Ludwig Gordonson with The Mandalorian and then with, you know, Boba Fett, Boba Fett, Boba Fett, or whatever that song was. Like, like we're getting, but the cool thing is, is we're getting away from as much but as I love yeah. the John Williams classic stuff and I'll always love it. Right. I love that we're getting New so many songs. Exactly. Which yeah. ma- makes sense because it's. We're also getting new stories that that need that new those new genres of music. So I'm super excited to see whatever the first uh, you know hip hop song that uh, comes. Lin Manuel Miranda is probably going to do a hip hop Star Wars song for Taika Waititi's uh, new. <laughs> I think he already did Star Wars. Did he? I think he already did, did he already that already happened? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll have to... I think he actually might have done something when uh, the Force Awakens. Oh yeah, I know he did a few. Did I did, he did a few pieces. I don't know if it was hip hop, but yeah. we'll see. Um, all right. In this final episode, uh, let's move on to episode three here. Uh, in again, this ep- these three episodes feel like a, a a big arc here. Cassian finally meets with Luthen and learns that he's he's there for more than just the stolen Starpath unit. Uh, as well as we get to see Cyril's forces arrive on Ferrix, and shit goes down. Uh, at a salvage yard, Cassian meets with Brasso and asks to keep an eye on Marva which I don't think ever actually happens uh, in the episode. I don't think Cass- Mar- <laughs> Brasso and Marva ever actually meet up or he takes care of her. Obviously, things move pretty quickly. Um, but Luthen arrives at the Ferrix terminal, and that talkative businessman tells him not to stay at a, a hotel and to mind his wallet. Um, and he meets with Bix, and she tells him where to meet with Cassian. Um, Cyril and the Morlana enforcers arrive on Ferrix. They split up into four teams, north, east, south, and west. West and Mosk orders all teams to stand by, uh, and then Cassian makes it to the drop-off location to meet the buyer. So let's uh, let's start off with Cyril and his team uh, interrogating Marva. Uh, Mosk finds B2 Emo, and they they silence Marva, is the nice way that I'm going to put it. Um, Cassian contacts B, who unfortunately can't turn off speakerphone like b2 emo like just turn speakerphone <laughs> off my guy like what's wrong with you uh and the crew overhears and tracks cassian's signal 
Uh, and then they, they notice uh, they've drawn a, a crowd of upset locals. And then we see the locals start banding together uh, and warning the entire community of the, of the Primor security team's presence by banging on those pipes. Um, so I got to say, Marva's clearly been in this situation before. And I love how she's... She's so resilient and calm throughout. I think she she instantly sees through just how green these Primor enforcers are. She's obviously dealt with actual soldiers in the past. What did you guys think of this intense moment? I think it just, again, going back to what we were talking about in episode two, the the highlight of them being seen as crooked cops, mm-hmm. you know, the way they force themselves in, you know, they, they, they are forcefully interrogating uh, Marva and, and, you know, trying to unravel whatever they can it, it just the, the whole the whole notion of it also just how how um as you put it green you know, yeah we're we're here to find out more information like you know what i mean like we're gonna we're gonna smash your shit and we're gonna do stuff yeah. to you so you better tell us where andor is yeah, like that's like kind of what they felt right. like yeah they're bullies yeah. exactly they they're be they're they're seen as bullies and it's it's very clear that they're 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 not the cool kids they're trying to be the cool kids mm. does that make sense totally like they're, they're trying to be the cool yeah 100 percent and i just think this is almost a microcosm of what's been happening in this whole series so far and that we're getting this slow build that's just amping up and so this this opening here this this beginning to this whole sort of uh you know search and seizure type operation uh is very much it's just it's just starting in its intensity and it's only going to get more uh you know intense as it goes on and and marva really plays that up as it goes on and again it's just another instance of how much of a badass she is yeah yeah and it it reminded me a lot of you know seeing the community band together and start banging on the pipes like that reminded me again obviously star wars as much as this is in the spy thriller genre i'm like oh we're back to the old west again this is the old west this is like a thing where you would see the entire community banding together ringing a little bell here or ringing a little bell there and it also reminded me a lot of like Lord of the Rings at the, when they light all the big towers and everything. And I'm like, okay, the whole community is together on this. These guys do not stand a chance uh, against this entire group of people. And you can just see that, you know, by by them banging on all these little these these pipes, it kind of gets in their heads and it forces them to think that there are greater numbers than there actually are. And I love that about that. I love the idea that they're they're just sort of playing with their minds, very very Batman esque to sort of just, just scare them in a way. And and even hearing her like, you know, that's what a reckoning looks like. You want it to stop, but it just keeps coming. It's 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 when it stops that's when you really want to start to fret. And then it just stops. And I'm like, oh boy, you got it yeah. coming now, boy. <laughs> like so good. <laughs> And leading into obviously the action that we'll get, it, you know, the slow build, all of it has been made worth it. Like it's all gratifying when you get to this point and you have this stuff moving, and you know, you very much sense uh, as we will get to some of the action that this episode has that you know the first two lacked. Yeah, let's uh, let's kind of get to some of that. Um, let's move on to Bix and and you know what's going on with Tim. Um, I titled this one, Bix Finds a Rat and Tim's Death. Uh, Bix and Tim become even more suspicious of each other. So Bix learns that someone ratted out Cassian, uh, and before she can leave, Tim tells her not to, and then he sort of says he can take care of himself. But at no point in time did Bix ever inform Tim that 
they were who they were talking about. And she's like, how do you know what we're talking about? Uh, of course, this tips her off that Tim was the one who ratted out Cassie into the Primor Enforcers. And she says, how could you? Uh, we then get later into the episode when, when again, shit hits the fan. Bix on the run. She's stopped by East Team. Tim freaks out at them. And says, you know, because obviously they see her like she's like half on the ground. He starts running towards her all worried and they shoot him dead. So rest in peace, Tim. Uh, we're gonna pause here for a moment of silence for Tim. No, we're not. Uh, do you guys think? Do you guys no think? Way. Do you guys think no Tim way. did? But did Tim deserve to go out this way, Kevin? Did Tim deserve to go out this way? I'm never gonna say anybody deserved to die. Like <laughs> you know, even though he's a rat. Yeah. But you know, he, <laughs> I, I I didn't feel bad about it. That's for right. sure. I mean, he he he. It's his fault. He yeah. he brought this on himself. And then, you know. Um, he, he, they told him to to stop, to stay where he was, and he didn't follow orders. And so, I mean, I don't know. It's again, I, it's I'm not going to say it. I wanted it to happen, but I'm not upset that it did. <laughs> no, but it does go with what you guys were saying when we were talking about episode one and why he might do it. It's it's very much he wanted to protect her, so mm-hmm. he was trying to get at her, so he could still do that, and inevitably it it got him dead. And I I think that kind of focuses in on sort of again like the idea that. At no point in time, like, you're right, Kevin, he's, he's, he would obviously have been a quite an annoying character to have to put up with if he didn't die. Um, but at the same time, like, you just see Bix very much still cares for him based off of her reaction. And, and you know, she, she still understands sort of his motives as to why he did what he did, even if... Even if she can't fully understand in that moment, it's it's almost like the fact that the the even the opportunity for him to right his wrongs is taken away from him. She sees how unfair that is in that moment, um, and I think that's just so that's fantastic that this show can sh- can can I can see that from that show or from this show, and I can see this in uh, her performance in even just such a short interaction, a short scene uh, where they just off they off him so unceremoniously, uh, and clearly, by the way. As we were saying, these Primor Enforcers, they're not capable of doing any of this. Like, they are just well, this messing again. up left, right, and center. Here. Well, this, yeah. And it, and it, it's, again, it's just, it's poor planning. But the reality is, you know, again, this, this idea of reaction, they reacted yes. to the situation and just shot him. And I think that that is so prevalent in, in news stories that you hear about mm, yeah. police interactions and stuff like that. And, and, yeah. and this, the idea of the reaction. So it feels like overly relevant uh, talking about mm-hmm. it. But to also see someone like Bix, again, like you said, Nate, she obviously has feelings for Tim. And I think we see here that this is what she's been trying to protect herself from is this loss. Mm-hmm. And you got to imagine that level of guilt for her right in that moment where she just feels like if I had never brought she this guy into it, absolutely, yeah, yeah. then he wouldn't be in this situation. Yeah. So um, let's let's keep going here. Uh, let's get to the sort of the I think probably my favorite part of all three of these episodes, um, the meeting with Luthen. Luthen shows up and meets Cassian at the drop-off location, and after validating that they're alone, he approaches him. Uh, Cassian asks Luthen for 40,000 credits, uh, and he says you can track every Imperial coordinate for nine radial parsecs, um, which, again, brings up the question of, like, 
Parsec, are they distance? Are they time? I still don't know, but I'm still going to say, you know, in our watch clubs, be back in less than 12 parsecs. Uh, Luthen eventually realizes uh, his hand, uh, sorry, Luthen eventually reveals his hand uh, that he isn't there to buy the NS9 uh, Starpath unit. Uh, Luthen tells him these days are numbered. He reveals that he knows more about Cassian by mentioning that if he is caught with the stolen gear, that they'd probably take him uh, and hang him up on Rick's Road uh, in the square like Cassian's father. Uh, he sees Cath- Cassian's talents uh, and asks him, don't you want to fight these bastards for real? Um, that's my Luthen impression. So uh, this is our first real scene with Stel- Stellar. I, I wrote it. <laughs> I misspelt it Stellar Skarsgård because he is it, Stellar. Which he is. Yeah. Yes, um, absolutely but, is. But this is our first real scene with Stellan Skarsgård as Luthen. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. I love how how dedicated he was to bringing Andor on to fight a bigger fight. Uh, and just the way he carries himself here, you can tell that he's done this before. He's obviously recruited a ton of people uh, to the cause before. What did you guys think of this performance here and and how quickly he was able to navigate this conversation? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the, the stakes, the, the situation obviously implores him to get this sort of negotiation with Cassie and done as quickly as possible. And again, it just shows how smart this character is that he's able to sort of convince him to do, you know, I mean, obviously Cassian's back is against the wall here. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have much of a choice, but he still is almost acting like he does. But Luthen really is able to just, you know, cut through the bullshit and be like, listen, man, uh, I kind of know who you are and I kind of know what you're about. And I kind of think that, that we could really do some good together. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I just thought, you know, I think this is the kind of scene that could this is the kind of not just singular conversation but it could be something that could go on for episodes and episodes worth of negotiating and i'm so glad that it was done in such a quick way yep. to sort of mm-hmm. just move on to the next part of their story I, I really appreciated that and i think the other interesting thing is you know obviously beyond what we know of cassian and where he would be in in rogue one you know there's something important and integral about him in this moment and what 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 is going to happen next so why he's why luthan's there only incites well what so like what is so big that they need you know you need cassian for right that you would risk all of this go out of your way to try to acquire him to bring him onto this team that that inciting like ooh, like that intrigue of what's next uh is also really really cool in this seed planting i mean this scene is the scene that they put uh, in the inside the 11 minute preview uh, that they put out on Disney Plus uh, a few days ago for the series, mm-hmm. and I, it was absolutely the right choice to put that in there because I think this scene it really is kind of the culmination of all three of these episodes and potentially even this series. I think just the way that everything you know the conversation happens. I love that he's leading the conversation by asking questions. He's he's using like sort of he's he's. Learn, Lead leading, yeah, he's leading, you know, Cassian to the answers that he knows he wants to get from him, uh, and he he goes about retrieving. Um, he asks about retrieving the equipment, and I love Cassian's response of just saying, "You just walk in like you belong." They're so proud of themselves; they don't even care. They're they're so proud and satisfied. They can't imagine someone like me would get in their house, walk their floor, spit in their food. And it's such a badass line. And I, I love it because it's exactly the approach that Cassian, K2SO, and Jin Erso will eventually take when they sneak onto the base in Scarif. They, exactly. they do exactly it's, that. Yeah. They walk in like they belong, and it works 
perfectly for them. Well, not perfectly, but it, it works to get the job done. Um, and, and I think, you know, you can see the, the thinking behind those decisions in this moment. And, and he really reveals that. I also think the aspect of, uh, as I was saying, underestimating the enemy is exactly what we've seen from the Empire before. And, and especially in this show and especially in this episode, I think Luthen sees that Cassian fully understands that and the little nuances of how to walk directly through their defenses. And that's what makes them so much more valuable to the resistance. I think that's, you know, this conversation, he was very he was very confident that Cassian was what he needed to, to bring home. But this is the conversation. These are the moments that locked it in for him. Uh, and I just want to bring up the, the, the mention of the hanging of Cassian's father. So he, he can't be referring to his actual father here obviously we're going to talk about those flashbacks in a bit but his actual father probably wouldn't have come to ferrix or do we think he's talking about an adopted father in this situation because obviously the hanging happened on ferrix well you know we were talking about it it's very much a found family story with with uh uh andor's past so i think that the father implication is very similar to the fact that you know, Marva Cass is kind of considered her, his mother. I think it is an adoptive. So it'd be her husband, that, that probably, probably, or her partner, husband, yeah, yeah, or a partner of some kind, like someone that was of importance that definitely has inspired the Cass and Andor that we know. I hope we get to see um, him, and as that would be really cool if we get maybe I, more recent flashbacks. Sure, I'm wondering if we did when it was in the flashbacks, but I might be forgetting stuff. So. Oh. I don't think so. Yeah, we, I don't know if we get an explanation of who Marv and the the other gentlemen are, mm-hmm. but in relation to each other, right? Yeah. Oh, like, what if that's what if his? They, what, mm-hmm. Yeah, like what if we have met him? Like I, that's where I was going as soon as you mentioned that. Just I thought the same thing. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, well, let's let's get to the escape here. Luthen and Cassian are discovered, uh, and they learn that they're surrounded. And Luthen blasts the doors open, and uh, and and a shootout commences again. Going, you know, spy thriller, old west mix up here. Um, and Cassian attempts to recover the box, uh, but he's shot in the shoulder, and it's too late. As the entire building collapses around them, they escape through a hole in the back of the building. Cyril and his group attempt to flank Luthen and Cassian, but they're tricked as the community continues to bang on the pipes. It gets louder and louder and louder and louder, and then it stops. Just want a good, nice, nice pregnant pause there, just to be like people feel like, oh, did the did the app stop? Did I, did my podcast app stop? Uh, Cassian, we're still here, folks. <laughs> we're still here. Uh, Cassian catches up to Cyril at gunpoint uh, and tells him to drop his weapon and take off his calm. Luthen says, "Kill him." Cyril is forced to tell Cassian the numbers. Uh, he says there's about a dozen officers, and they tie him up and throw him in the back of a building. Uh, one of those officers jumps in a pod and attempts to get it in the air, but it's been tied down, uh, and this causes him to completely lose control and Im- immediately crash into the building. Uh, Cassian and Luthen uh, send a, a ship out uh, as the Primor team shoots at it, and it explodes. Uh, and after a brief smile or a slight smile between Cyril and Mosk, uh, they discover there's no one inside, uh, and Cassian and Luthen escape past them as Cyril's grin quickly becomes a grimace. Uh, so a couple things here. First of all, let's get to the, the ship being tied down, which I thought was one of the most um, brutal deaths that we've seen in Star Wars in quite some time. Obviously, we've seen people get their heads chopped off, but this was still pretty brutal. Um, what Ooh. do you think of seeing yeah. you know, this moment, and, and who do you think actually tied the ship down? Oh, 100%. It was Brazos. It was his friend 
that that uh, you know we we saw earlier in, in episode one, and I think it goes to show this again what we were talking about. It's a sense of community. They look out for each other. They're all in it together. They're they're surviving together, and they will protect each other at at all costs as if they are family. So. This, you know, uh, to see that far reach and to see how he steps in to kind of help and tie the ship down and it, you know, causes that awful death. It was bad. It was I was brutal. like, wow. I felt bad for the guy. Yeah, like, I, I actually went. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, and, and the thing is, is like there is a brief second, like a half second or, or less where the, the, the bells are ringing and you sort of see Brazo um, sort of. Uh, in the background and and he sort of turns and his buddies are like come on that's the that's the signal or whatever but he's they still have to like sort of call him over so clearly he's his mind is set on okay we're gonna we're gonna screw these guys over we're gonna really yeah he was gonna yeah. you know tie this ship yeah. down and, and really mess them it was up. 100% yeah him. he bought him some time yeah absolutely and, and again incredibly dark um and it's I think it's <laughs> it's just dope that like this this community is able to dupe the empire, right? Again, even though they are these low level cocky. enforcers, exactly because they're so cocky, we've got this this community. And I think for that guy to go out, you know, again, we don't usually see explosions like that in Star Wars. The closest thing that we would get, as far as a death is concerned, would be Corday, uh, who is Padme's handmaiden in Attack of the Clones. She gets thankfully not blown up, but she you know she kind of gets pushed back by the ship and dies right there. So. Um, but yeah, I, I will say I think this was really the shi- most shining moment as far as a performance from Kyle Soler uh, with Cyril here. I think you you can tell how much you know he underestimated what he's getting himself into, uh, and having a character like Moss hyping him up, it reminded me. And Kevin, you'll probably enjoy this analogy. It reminded me of those American Idol auditions where you see those poor individuals who have like they've got a ton of heart and a ton of passion, uh, and they've got like their mom or their dad there like hyping them up, like oh she's the best singer I ever heard or whatever. <laughs> and she gets on there and it's just not great, and she really she's not a good singer. Like that. That's where I started to really feel bad for Cyril and just seeing him come to the realization uh, at the end of the episode where we he just see the face that he's making and Moss has to like shake him to get him out and, and slap him to get him back to reality. It's just something that honestly, I can't get that moment out of my mind. And that was one of the most sort of haunting moments that really stuck with me from his performance. I just feel bad for the guy at this point. Yeah, it it was all heavily foreshadowed that this was was definitely going to be the case that he was getting himself into too much, and it was going to literally blow up in his face mm-hmm. and, and screw him over. Well, it blew up. It, it blew up in the other guy's face that was in the ship. But I hear what you're saying. In the other guy's <laughs> yeah. face, but he was in the vicinity. Right. But and and definitely this whole plan, this whole effort, fell extremely short. So I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what's going to happen next yeah. uh, with his with him. Um, but you know, again. I totally agree. I think through these three episodes, we saw so much from Cyril that that is so um, tonally different from episode to episode. You know, this stern, you know, tight knit, very direct to this point where he's now just I'm a friggin' soldier. I'm going to go bring this guy in and I'm going to it's going to be great. I'm going to be I'm going to look great to everyone. And yeah, it just it's it's so thing. So I love that he gave us such a range through each of these Mm -hmm. episodes that here now it was, as you described, haunting. It was, you know, what's going to happen to him? He's in so much his pride. We see (laughs) we literally see on his face his pride turning into fear. Right. And that's 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 amazing. 
It was fantastic. More like turning, it turns into a puddle <laughs> or a stream running down his leg. Oh, no. You know, like yeah. just, yeah, uh, you know, but stick to your day job. Stick to, you know, being a desk jockey. You are not meant for oh, no. for this this big, big cruel world, little buddy, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Now, the end of the episode kind of is interwoven uh, with the flashback scenes. So I do want to touch upon that. But I kind of want to jump into the flashbacks uh, right at this point, if that's okay with everyone. Um, so getting getting back to the flashbacks, we see Cassian and his tribe on Canari. Uh, and we're, in, we're also introduced to his younger sister. Um, they, you know, they see what I think is a, one of the mining ships, uh, potentially, uh, explode and crash. And they decide to start painting their faces with ash ready for battle. Uh, we see Cassian admire... Uh, their what I guess is their leader. She's an older uh, girl, and he. You notice that he actually chooses to paint his face the exact same way as her, uh, and she obviously takes notice of that as well. Um, and he's you know Cassian's sister attempts to follow the group, and he tells her to stay behind. We then see Cassian and a group of from his tribe pass by, uh, you know, one of the giant mines where we see him standing over it, and we see the leftover Imperial mining equipment and we get this great shot of Cassian uh, and just how small he is in comparison. Uh, this is clearly his first mission because in another sequence we see he has to be grabbed down, um, you know, just to get into cover. Uh, and the group make it to the shipwreck where they see, uh, you know, they, they sort of follow their leader towards it slowly until she finds a few dead humans who look like their skin has been turned yellow. One of them shoots her and the tribe proceed to shoot him with blow darts uh, in, in, until he collapses. Which, by the way, shout out to blow darts making their debut in Star Wars. Um, fantastic. I don't think the, the Ewoks had, had blow darts, did they? No, I, I don't. I think you're right, yeah. but I mean, get a get a stronger poison. Like, they <laughs> took a hell of a lot True. of bloody darts, man. Yeah, or that guy's just like he went down like the the leader of the Europe. He was yellow like, though. He was. He was just taking those darts like a champ. Yeah, yeah. Um, so unfortunately for their leader, she was killed, uh, and the others decide to turn back and carry her body away as Cassian looks back and decides to continue forward. He heads in, moving slowly throughout the ship, and he discovers more yellow-skinned crew poisoned and dead. He walks through the halls and, and bridge of the ship until he comes upon his reflection. Mourning for the loss of his friend and former leader, he smashes his own reflection out of anger and disgust for himself that he couldn't do more. Uh, we then see a brand new, all shiny, non-broken B2 Emo traversing the crash ship on Canari, followed by Marva and uh, Clem, um, which is interesting. Um, but we see, you know, they, they stumble upon Cassian smashing up the ship. Uh, and he looks at B2 as if he's never seen a droid before, by the way. He's so shook. Uh, you know, they at one point, um, I hear them say they killed a Republic officer uh and so i'm trying to think back in the timeline at this point i guess they would have been called the galactic republic at that point in time and so maybe that was what they were referring to i'm not sure i i again it's i'm a little bit I'm a little fuzzy um obviously you can write in to let me know if i'm, I'm wrong so then that would be that would mean that it would be more than 14 years before when the end or when and or the show is taking right? place, which makes our, sense because yeah, he's younger. Yeah, that's if it was if it if it's at least fourteen years, then they would still be uh, the Galactic Republic. Right. So yeah. so she says they killed a Republic officer. Uh, he freaks out, and then Marva injects him with a dowsing agent to put him to sleep. Marva carries Cassian out of the wreckage back onto her ship, uh, and the four of them escape off planet. Something Cassian has never done before. Marva looks back at him. 
and the episode ends. Um, so let's talk about this ending and these flashbacks. Uh, I, I will say the third episode of these three episodes is my favorite uh, of these three, at least. I think the way this episode ends is so well done. Cutting between Marva and the flashback, Cassian with Luthen, Marva alone uh, in her home, Bix completely shaken by the loss of Tim, and Cyril absolutely at a loss uh, staring at the exploded ship. And then to finish with Marva looking you know, back uh, in the flashback to an older Cassian now in the current time, reliving this moment with his past, repeating itself in this endless war that he's been in since he was six years old, uh, was just, it was masterful storytelling. And I really, I loved how it was, it, it put a fantastic visual bow on this three episode arc, just to sort of say, here's all the characters that we introduced you to, and here's where they've left off after these three episodes. It was it was phenomenal. I think the intertwining of the flashbacks helps to sh- really show how it's always been embedded in Cassian's life to survive and to to be a, a, a product of of that survival and what that means. So I feel like, yeah, it's it, it puts that that sort of, as you put, bow on these three these three episodes as as kind of their own story to help set up for what I think is obviously going to be a constant theme throughout the rest of the the episodes is survival and this theme of standing up for yourself and being a part of the fight. I think that, again, cast this this whole wrap up to this three episode arc really does solidify that that is the strength of Andor's character. He's a fighter and he he will survive at all costs. So, yeah, bravo. Yeah. And it really shows just, you know, why he he has this disdain for authority mm-hmm. um and i mean we still don't even know why he's you know a part of this tribe of children lord of the fly style on this on this planet you know what happened to the adults right. here i mean i'm not sure if we'll ever find that out but i wonder if it isn't a case of you know again authority at, at this point it would be the the galactic republic you know sort of uh doing something to his people to 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 sort of orphan all these kids well and it's interesting too because i'm like did they all go to war and then never come back right and then these kids all just had to learn to fend for themselves expecting for these these parents to eventually return which cuz there's a certain point in the flashbacks where one of the girls is like <laughs> we're over here it's us you know we're you know and they're like shut up that's not your mom or whatever, you know what I mean? So like, I'm wondering yeah. if maybe that was kind of what, what might've happened to them. Yeah. I, I bet there's a lot of questions with that, but there, there is a very like tribal, like very, I like, they feel like they're lost. Like you, you, the analogy that you used is Lord of the flies, Kev. And I think that that's very much like, maybe they're stranded. Mm. Maybe they already are in survival mode. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and who knows why, but I think that we'll learn more about the, the planet because there were some pretty wide scapes if i'm not mistaken of just empty empty chasms of in this land that are just being clearly mined right is that uh, am i yeah am I well and it's, that it's yeah because there, there it's a mining there's mining equipment all over the place and it's abandoned and we we learn yeah. that it's you know the planet is is toxic obviously all those those uh, people are poisoned and they turn yellow um I'm just assuming that maybe because because here's the thing they must have had to get off the planet pretty hastily for them to just leave all that equipment there and not take it with them or what have you. So obviously they must have hit something in the planet that maybe released like a toxic gas or something along those lines. Um, and that's what started killing them. Uh, and whatever it was, it wasn't worth 
you know, whatever it was that they were trying to find. Um, do you think they were mining for Kyber in this situation? Like, obviously, Kyber is a huge aspect to Rogue One. Um, it's what powers the Death Star. And we know that they've been working on the Death Star since at least Attack of the Clones. So this would have... That's That was right? my first... That was my first thought was that it, it has to definitely be Kyber because that's what they've that what's that's what they were always mining for in this sort of period right. of time is you know to to help build enough Kyber crystal to to to, to power the Death Star. So I, I think that's a safe bet. I, I'm wondering if we'll obviously learn more so. of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else to say before the before we move on from the flashbacks? Uh, well, I, I I I have just been crunching some numbers here for you because oh. I know you've you've been curious. Um, so are we to believe then that uh, when Cassian says he's been part of the rebellion since he was six, that he's six years old in these flashbacks? Mm. Is that what we're is that what we're going with? Like, is that what he means by that's is is the day he got rescued by Marva sort of the day he did join this fight? Um, I think I think it might have been even a little earlier than that. He looks kind of like he's eleven. Or, or, or he does look much know? older. Yeah, right. And so my only concern, though, is it. Just, so it, it just really. De- uh, he dies in Rogue One at the age of twenty six. Oh, okay. and so if you put this, if you put this back five years to when Andor is taking place, mm-hmm. he'd be twenty one. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm just wondering how that he would literally have to be six or seven here for the 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 Galactic Republic to still be in place Interesting. when those flashbacks are taking so place. Was, so maybe I didn't crunch the numbers yeah. as well as I'd hoped. I'm just trying to to see if it if the if it actually flows or if maybe there's a continuity error in the timeline, who knows. Well, who he knows? said he's been in this war since he was mm-hmm. 6, right? Not that he was part of the rebellion. Right. He's been he's been in this war since he yeah. was 6. So I think I think here it's safe to say he's probably around 10 or 11, right? Maybe at the youngest 9 or 8. Yeah. Right. But I think at, at the oldest, 10 or 11. And I think definitely if it puts him at 21 and there's five years later, that that kind of lines up like 10 years from that point of when he was found. He's lived this life with Marva and, you know, stepfather. And he aged you know, quite has... a bit in those 10 years. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, he's an old looking 21 year old. That's what that. that's what war. Kevin, that's what war that's and what war does to, war kids. Does to yeah. kids. Weathers yeah, you, bro. Weathers, yeah. weathers you. Um, all right. Well, obviously, we're doing a bit of uh, prediction here uh, for for already, already. But I want to kind of get into any any further predictions that, you know, it brings us to our prediction segments. And I, I think, you know, we're going to talk about I want to I want to ask you what you think will be revealed in the future of the series and its characters. And and. I will say, um, you know, obviously we can't predict what's going to happen for episode four because we've already seen it, but I'm thinking bigger picture here. I want to know, even if you think it's a wild card prediction, um, and and for this prediction segment, I'm going to call it uh, how many Bothans died to get us this information. So kind of a good throwback to Mon Mothma yet again. I was thinking, you know, you could start off by saying like, you know, a certain number of, of Bothans died to bring us this information. And my intel reads as... And then you say your prediction. Uh, Justin, why don't you kick us off? How many Bothans died to bring you the information? Dude, I'm telling you. 85 Bothans died to bring you this information, bro. 85. Just, I can't (laughs) believe it. Um, The intel tells me that uh, I think as much as this show is playing fast and loose with Easter eggs and being Star Wars-esque, I think there is something 
that we will get in these 12 episodes that will be a solidified reminder that it is Star Wars, whether, you know, beyond just clone troopers and 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 stormtroopers. Yeah. I think we may get a peek at a character that is either of importance or will become of importance, whether it's the Emperor, whether it's mm-hmm. Thrawn. I think that we will get something like that down the road because I think inherently, yes, this the show already with these first three episodes establishes it's sort of removed from all of that. They're, they're the story about what happens based on the events of Jedis and Sith Lords and the empire and all of the stuff that's going on in the galaxy. People are, are affected by it, but I think that there will be something that we will get later in these episodes that will definitely be like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just because it, it is playing pretty, removed from it right Leonardo now. Leonardo DiCaprio. You just need to do one thing. All the, you know, pointing at the screen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, okay. exactly. But I, I, and it doesn't need to be something like, you know, it, it, I think it's just more or less like, you know, we could see the Emperor. Right. Do you know what I mean? That's like what that we get. would be okay. something that we could see. Okay. Exactly. But I wouldn't turn down the opportunity to get our first look at Thrawn. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I mean, that's, that's a, big piece of information and so i think uh wow it's, it's certainly worth the sacrifice of the uh the, the bothans there um yeah that's a, that's a lot of both and death uh i will say uh i'd i'd kind of go on the same page uh but i'll, I'll stick to the light side so only one both and death oh, for this okay. for this information yes yes because uh, my intel's my intel's a little shaky here <laughs> but i do think um, we might see parts of actually the rebellion that we that we have become familiar with in the past. Obviously, I mean it doesn't take a genius to know that uh, Mon Mothma is coming uh, to, to have a significant role in the show. But I also think a character from um, a movie that was actually better than Rogue One, at least according to our uh, old uh, movie combat <laughs> battle. Uh, I think we might see. Uh, I I would really like to see Emphy's Nest. Um, Make an appearance oh, wow. here as we get that side of uh, of the rebellion. I think I think the timelines work really well. Yeah. I think that would be a, a cool that would be really uh, cool, shout. I, yeah, so that's that's what I'm hoping for. So it's it's more of a hope than a uh, than a prediction. And I think again, it goes with this idea of like the thing that's really refreshing about this show, as you guys were talking about in the spoiler free, is that it is it feels so removed. It's it's not heavy on the Star Wars. Tony Gilroy has said like fan service wasn't really an important thing for him, right? It was really about just telling the story. And I think that, you know, again, it doesn't need to be something huge. It could even just be a small little amount to bring it all together while still reminding us that it's, you know, still in Star Wars, right? Like something that is that. Is that. Because I feel like we'll get more than just stormtroopers and clone troopers, totally. right? So. Okay. Um, listen, Justin, obviously you didn't do your job very well because you did not kill the informant uh, because I obviously had the same informant... <laughs> As you did. Uh, so I think, it, what did you say, 85 Bothans? 85 Bothans 85. Um, did die. And actually, you know what? The informant was a Bothan. I killed him now. Uh, so 86 Bothans died to bring me this information. Very similar to what you're talking about, dude. I think we've seen ISB agents wearing the traditional Empire Imperial outfits. And I think we've all been discussing offline how much we want Thrawn to show up at some point in this series. I think we brought up in our spoiler-free review that the show... Uh, or that I, I personally think, I, I, I hope that the show will blend, as you're saying, it's non-Star Wars feeling with traditional Star Wars slowly over time. We don't need a big hit of it, just slowly, a little bit. And with how political and serious this series, I think, 
you know, will get. I think Thrawn is a perfect blend of what Star Wars fans want, as well as with what Tony Gilroy would want to write about. I think that's the character that if you showed Tony Gilroy all these different characters in Star Wars, he'd pick that one out and say, yes, this especially this seems fitting for this series. And especially seeing how incompetent these different sections of the Empire have gotten during this time. You know, they all think they're hot shit right now. Imagine having someone like Thrawn come in and just whoop some of their asses back in order to just be like, you are nothing. You mean nothing. And I think it would be so phenomenal. I was also doing some research, by the way. His species, the Chiss, apparently don't age at the same rate as humans. Uh, so according to the source material and Timothy Zahn's books, as well as Darcy, uh, <laughs> I've learned that um, that the the his age during the, those the, those books, is it's really fuzzy as to how old he is. So I think it's a perfect opportunity to say that in this, he's in his 40s, he's in his 50s, and he just brings, he brings the Navy and he sets things in order. Um, and I don't even want to get him in this season. You're right, Justin. Just give us a tease at the end of the 12 episodes. Give us like a blue skinned hand putting his hand down on something or or it's just something where, Ooh. you know, we see him look out into the stars. Very, very uh, end of, um, you know, of New Hope in a way. Right. With with them looking out, out the stars. So I think that would be really cool. Um I don't know, man. I think that it would just be phenomenal to bring him in for the second season and then have it lead us perfectly into Ahsoka and her hunt for him. I think that's the perfect way to transition that character into Star Wars, but we'll Timelines, see. Timelines, for sure. Sure, timeline's entirely different, though, right? Like, this is obviously well before, but if he's on the chase, if he's on yeah. the hunt for this rebellion and he's chasing after Andor in Season 2 throughout the, those those periods of time, yeah, that that could work, you know what I mean? Because when we see Ahsoka, it's Oh, absolutely, later, but right? I'm saying Chiss don't age. So, like, to get audiences understanding of who Thrawn is I think it would be so cool to be like yeah we're giving you Thrawn at this point in the galaxy and then they can then they can celebrate it again in in Ahsoka when they're like Mm. oh well you saw Thrawn in Andor this is a different Thrawn than that Thrawn and like they can play up the idea that he's he's a little older and he's kind of losing his mind a bit or whatever you want to do like I don't you know I think it'd be really really fun for them to have him as a thread throughout these these next live action series yeah, and you're almost better showing him at his prime before you sort of see him a little bit more unraveled, at yeah. least out of the the animated context. So yeah, no, I I think I think plus we we get a few visual cues. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering uh, if that is sort of our first sign of of bigger things to come. Okay, well, listen, I I agree. Um, you know, obviously in the trailers we've seen the ISB outfits uh, that look very thrawny. So. Um, hopefully, hopefully, I think he'll, I think he'll show up. If not, then what did those 86 Bothans die for? Um, all right, so it's about time we give our overall impressions for these first three episodes and our final score, uh, which we're going to be rating on a scale of one to five stolen star path units. Uh, and this rating will be for all three episodes as a collective, not, uh, we're not individually rating each episode. So it'll just be all three episodes. What's our rating? Uh, Justin, why don't you kick us off? Well, I loved these first three episodes of Andor. Uh, they do so many things right and, and really do set things up for the rest of the series. And it establishes just how different this series is from everything we've gotten from Star Wars in the live action series category. You know, these three episodes tonally, we see the, the gritty, grounded spy thriller that feels very Blade Runner and it's mature with high level stakes. 
um, you know, the series is, is clearly going to be of importance and it's going to tell the story about how the rebellion came to be and the key players that help to make that a reality. But more importantly, the series is about people and the people of the galaxy who are surviving and fighting the empire collectively. Uh, it's clear that community and, and standing together are going to be constant themes that we'll see played out. And we'll see how far heroes will go to protect themselves uh, and those around them. Uh, now, that juxtaposed with the villains uh, of the story, who clearly we're, we're going to see them uh, very much be the heroes of their own story, if you will, as they seemingly think that they're doing good, but they're doing good for the wrong side. Uh, I think this is something that is, is going to allow us as an audience to understand that things are not so black and white like we might have previously thought with Star Wars, given, you know, Jedi and Sith Lords, but rather gray uh, as they as each side will, will do what they can to survive. And I think that is the series biggest strength coming back to the cast you know Diego Luna you know he slips right back into the role of of Andor so so natural uh and and just the entire cast Stellan Skarsgård Adria Arjona Fiona Shaw Kyle Soler everyone is so committed to their characters and if this is the level of acting that we're going to get from the rest of the series then it's top tier Star Wars man yeah I, I loved everything about these first episodes as I already said uh, you, you know there were pacing issues but I'm going to forgive that because more importantly this show is so different and it's it's not trying to keep Star Wars in a box it's 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 pushing the boundaries with its tone and that in itself feels very groundbreaking for for Star Wars um, and and I think that pacing issues aside, I will forgive it because they are trying to do something different. And as we mentioned, you know, the fact that the series is less concerned about fan service and more concerned about telling a story that is meaningful in a galaxy far, far away. I am, I am so here for that. Even though I think somewhere along the lines, we may get some sort of l hint at a, a pivotal Star Wars character, maybe like, like the Emperor. So all this to say, I'll be giving these first three episodes a five out of five stolen Star Path units. I know it's Ooh. high, but honestly, I think these three episodes wow. prove what is possible. When you focus on the story you're trying to tell within the galaxy of Star Wars, rather than trying to make it be Star Wars. So huge shout out to Tony Gilroy and the entire creative team for taking a chance on this series because it paid off. And I know we're, we haven't seen all of this season, but right out the gate, these first three episodes do a lot to get me excited for the rest of the series. So it's a strong start. Yeah, five out of five. Wow. Man. Totally, totally down for more. Okay, anger. Kevin. Uh, yeah, just uh, towards the end there, you, you sort of touched on a couple things that I've I've been thinking about the show, um, and uh, you know you mentioned that that bigger character that's part of the Star Wars lore that we already know, and I think what's incredible about the show is while I do think we're gonna get even just maybe even if it's just name drops, maybe we don't even see these bigger characters. Although I just yeah. have a feeling we might. You don't need it, and that's that's yeah, the incredible don't. thing here. And you know, whereas these Disney Plus shows for the MCU have been doing it without those bigger name characters, those top tier Avengers, and everything like that, the stakes have felt so much less because of it. Whereas here, you could not be further removed from the big Star Wars presence, the the Jedi, you know, your Darth Vader's, any of those characters, and yet it still feels so important, so consequential. These very very 
ground level characters, the stakes do just feel so high. And I think that's the real strength of the show is how important these characters and what they're doing, even though it is so minute when you think about the the grand scale of this galaxy being controlled by the emperor, it just feels so important to everything that's happening. And another brilliant thing they've done here is the releasing of these three episodes. It's so integral to watch these three episodes to start this journey. Uh, I think so much needs to happen in those three episodes to really set up what the story is going to be and some of the characters we're going to go on this journey with are. And and so while there was a bit of a pacing issue, especially in that first episode where you're really waiting for things to get going and really trying to figure out what's happening, by the end of that third episode, it's just... It is worth just, it. you know, almost two hours of the best, pure, original take on a Star Wars story that I think we've ever seen. And, you know, so I'm going to give my score here first before sort of wrapping it up. And I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5 stolen Star Path unit. It's a terrific start. I think it's only going to get better. I'm so excited to see where this goes. Uh, and, like, hats off to Disney Plus and Star Wars and Tony Gilroy for getting me amped up for a prequel show that I really didn't think would do as much as as it has for me already very good wow yeah yeah i i you guys kind of said everything uh i could think um you know i think i i said a lot of what i i thought in our spoiler free but i'll, I'll pare it down for those who haven't listened to that um you know i think in our spoiler free i said that i wasn't as hot on these first three episodes even though the ending of this third episode was absolutely incredible. Um, they do work together as a solid arc, as we're saying. Please watch them together. Them combined is a different quality than they each episode on their own. Uh, I think the pacing is a slow burn, but the performances and ultimately the mature natures of the nature of the first three episodes uh, and the way they give you, you know, more information about Cassian's past while also introducing us to these additional characters that, honestly. I can't wait to explore further. And that's the best part about this show is it's called Andor. But these three episodes really show you why you're going to care for so many more characters than just Andor and on both sides. So it's not just, you know, it's 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 and or, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to make an Andor joke. Oh, jeez, oh, you finally squeezed I figured it out. I figured it out. It's not very good. Um, but this show is much better than my jokes. Uh, and so I'm going to give I'm going to give these first three episodes, which which do explore these characters so well, uh, a solid four out of five stolen star path units. Uh, all right, well, that is it for this week's episode of Watch Club for Lucasfilm and Disney's Andor. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts, if you haven't already, and if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or predictions on the shows we cover in Watch Club. Hopefully, not too many Bothans need to die for you to get this message uh, to Justin, but Justin, can you let our Rebel listeners know the secret coordinates as to where they can reach us? Yes, well, they can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com, but you can also hit us up on the back channels on Twitter at GeekCentricYT or on Instagram at Weird. On the Hollow Net, the dark, the dark areas of the Hollow Net, I think is what they call it in Star Wars. Uh, keep in mind, we have a ton of other episodes covering the latest and greatest shows and movies out now, as well as our interviews with the cast of this show that we've been talking about. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, we talked with Adria Arjona, who plays Bix Colleen, Kyle Soler, who plays Cyril Karn, uh, who are both <coughs> absolutely fantastic in these first three episodes. Uh, and then we also chatted with Genevieve O'Reilly, who plays Mon Mothma uh, in the show, as well as Denise Goff, who plays Deidre Miro, uh, who hopefully we'll all get to, to talk about uh, in more detail sooner than later. 
Uh, Kyle and Denise share with me an incredible moment uh, related to all the lights in my room. So that's one you're going to want to watch on YouTube uh, for sure at youtube.com slash geekcentric because uh, we have a good giggly old time uh, with them. Uh, we also recently sat down, speaking of a giggly old time, we sat down with Mater himself, Daniel Whitney, a.k.a. Larry the Cable Guy. Uh, and we also have our interview with Pinocchio's composer, uh, Alan Silvestri, and songwriter, songwriter Glenn Ballard. Uh, and we have an interview with Barbarian director Zach Kreger. So a ton of interviews. Uh, plus, we have another watch club still ongoing for Marvel's She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Uh, and we had interviews with the lead lead writer, Jessica Gao, and uh, director Kat Koiro uh, from She-Hulk as well. Uh, and we also have our weekly This Week in Geek episodes where we break down the latest in trailers and news um, every single Wednesday, usually every single Wednesday. But our latest episodes, we actually did sort of a three-pack of episodes covering D23. And there was so much to go over. So if you want to listen to us jab on, gab on about all things Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, um, and, and, you know, Pixar, uh, definitely check out those episodes. Had a really good time talking about the future of the parks as well uh, in the Disney Parks panel conversation that we had. So, so much happening. Go give those episodes a listen and leave a five-star review if you don't mind. Justin, Kevin, my wonderful rebel spies, thank you so much for joining me for this Watch Club. And as we say, rebellions are built on hope. <laughs>